0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has completed his review of the national monuments mandated by President Trump. He's not released his full recommendations. Uh, What we have so far is the executive summary. The New York Times is reporting that those recommendations will include reducing the size of four national monuments, including Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante in Utah. Reports are that Secretary Zinke may recommend a drastic reduction in size for Bears Ears. Supporters of existing monuments say that public lands create jobs and protect America's cultural and historic legacy. Opponents say that monuments are too big and are impairing the area's economy. We want to know what you think, and we're going to take the hour today on Access Utah to discuss the future of Utah's national monuments, indeed America's national monuments. You can comment right now to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, and our toll-free phone number is 1-800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Our guests for the hour include the writer, educator, photographer, and conservationist Stephen Trimble, author of Bargaining for Eden and other books, and he's joined us from the studios of kcbw in salt lake city uh, stephen trimble welcome back to the program
1: hi tom i'm always delighted to talk with you
0: thanks for uh, joining us uh matthew campbell joins us on the phone he's with the native american rights foundation matthew campbell welcome to the program thank you tom appreciate you uh, being with us sure. Got a little bit of an echo there on uh, both of you gentlemen we we'll see if we can uh, solve that problem and uh, and uh, we're trying to get on the on the line uh, john rupel uh, who's with the Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources and the Environment. Uh, he'll be joining as soon as we can uh, get him uh, on. Uh, so let me start with Stephen Trimble there at KCPW, and our thanks to the good folks there. Uh, Stephen Trimble, um, what do we know at this point? Is it All I think I know is what's being reported by various newspapers on That's specifics right.
1: here. That's right, Tom. We know so little. Um, you know, the the president signed an executive order last spring, and— demanded that the Secretary of the Interior review all of the national monuments proclaimed by presidents in the last 21 years, going back to the time of Grand Staircase Escalante, and take a look at them for possible elimination or reduction. And um, he made it pretty clear when he did that that he was doing it only at the behest of Senator Orrin Hatch. And since that time, he took some trips to the West and talked mostly to monument opponents— and was very careful and secretive about what he was doing. Uh, He opened up the process to public comment, and the Department of Interior received 2.8 million comments. And in an analysis of those comments, they found that more than 99% opposed the executive order and supported national monuments. Uh, Even in Utah, there were huge numbers that supported um, our national monuments here in Utah. You know, more than 90% and uh, even 80% of Utahns, uh let's see, let me get the numbers right, 90, 90.9% of Utahns opposed the review in those public comments. So that all happened, and now here we are in August when the secretary is supposed to deliver his report to the president. And all he has done on the day of his deadline is give us a brief summary with very very few Actual facts or revelations, and he's being quite secretive. But word is trickling out, just as of a couple of days ago, that he will uh, recommend drastically reducing at least three monuments, although not eliminating any, which would be likely illegal anyhow. And the three, of course, are the two monuments that Orrin Hatch wanted to go after: are two great uh, national monuments here in Utah, Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante. And also Cascades Siskiyou up in uh, Oregon and Washington.
0: We uh, do have uh, John Rupel, who is Associate Professor of Research with the Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources and Environment at the University of Utah, who's joining us. So, uh, John Rupel, welcome to the program.
2: Hi, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And uh, you're joining us from uh, KUER Studios, I believe, in Salt Lake City. Thanks to them as well. Uh, Let me uh, just go around. I'll start with uh, John Ruppel, then go to Matthew Campbell, and back to Stephen Trimble. Just general reaction to at least what we know or think we know about uh, Secretary Zinke's um, recommendations, starting with John Ruppel.
2: Well, Tom, I I guess I have to agree with what Steven said. We don't know a whole lot. I think we're in a wait and see mode. Uh, We know that based on the interim report that Secretary Zinke was anticipating a reduction at Bears Ears. Uh, based on reporting that we've heard. We know that uh, it appears that both Bears Ears and Grand Staircase are in the crosshairs. But we really don't know what uh, Secretary Zinke is going to recommend, whether he will recommend a reduction, uh, an elimination, whether he'll recommend that Congress deals with uh, some of the concerns about national monument designation and management in a more comprehensive way. And we really don't know what the president will do based on those recommendations. So uh, we're in a holding pattern. We're in a wait-and-see mode.
0: Matthew Campbell, your general reaction uh, to what's, uh, in your view, what's likely to happen?
3: Thanks, Tom. Well, as John mentioned, I think with the interim report and now the reports coming out of the recommendation to shrink Bear's Ears, we're highly disappointed. You know, Bear's Ears is one of the most important places for all of Indian country. It's, it's a place where creation stories come from, like many creation stories of Christianity or Mormonism or other religions. There's creation stories for tribes as well, and some of those come from Bears, the Bears Ears region. And so, you know, this is a, one of the most important areas for all of Indian country. So any recommendation to shrink it is, is highly disappointing.
0: Let me get uh, to some comments that have come in, uh, reactions for our listeners. And by the way, uh, you would love to get your comments on this. I know it's affecting, potentially affecting a lot of people. Um, and uh, whether you agree or disagree with the uh, likely outcome of this, we'd love to get your comments. So the first uh, comes in from uh, Veronica in Teesdale. Veronica says, Utah citizens are ashamed of the way our politicians misrepresent the Native American viewpoint on the Bears Ears National Monument. Particularly reprehensible are Senator Hatch's tone-deaf, insulting remarks last week on Secretary Zinke's sham review of the monument. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, she quotes Hatch, "...the uh, Indians, they don't fully understand that a lot of uh, things that they currently take for granted on those lands they won't be able to do if it's made clearly into a monument or wilderness." Uh, That's what Hatch said on Sunday, according to Veronica. Once you put a monument there, you do restrict a lot of things that could be done, and that includes use of land. Just take my word for it, Uh, quoting Hatch, at least according to Veronica. Hatch's dismissal of Native voices is not only condescending, it's incredibly inaccurate in the case of Bears Ears. Taking the great white father's word for anything hasn't worked out too well for Native Americans for the last two centuries. Let me throw this first to to Matthew. What's your thought on Veronica's uh, comment there?
3: Well I think it is unfortunate the comments that were made it's it's definitely a paternalistic type of thinking that you know we know what's best for you when the reality is the five tribes came together to push for the creation of the Bears Ears National Monument they knew exactly what they were doing they knew they wanted to protect their their cultures their migration trails their ancient villages and, and all the cultural items and medicines that are within the area. And so they knew fully what they were doing and, and they didn't need to rely on anyone else to tell them how to think. I, they knew what they were doing and, and they pushed for that intentionally.
0: Um, I wonder, uh, Stephen Trimble, what, what your comment is on on Veronica's comments to the Native Americans. There, and there has been some, some dispute that I've seen reported. There's some uh, tribal representatives said, hey, this is not representing me. We don't We don't want this, at least of this size.
1: Well, Ma- Matthew was absolutely right. This is a proposal that came from Native people. This is not coming from envirom- the environmental community, which makes it different from every other national monument proposal that we've ever seen. You know, five tribes that don't typically agree with each other on everything came together after years of documenting cultural use of the land north of the reservation, north of the Navajo reservation, between Navajo country, the Navajo Nation, and Canyonlands National Park. And they documented in great detail the traditional uses, the sacred places, the cultural map of Native history in that land. And they put together a beautifully written and carefully documented proposal and took that initially into the public lands initiative that uh, Rob Bishop was running to try to create a grand compromise on public lands issues in eastern Utah, and they simply weren't listened to. You know, the public officials, the elected officials did not listen to them. And by then those five tribes were supporting the proposal as sovereign nations. They were there was support from each of the tribal councils and tribal presidents, the National Congress of American Indians, all but one of the Navajo Nation chapter houses in Utah. Massive support, virtually unanimous support from Indian country. Uh, the the opponents of the monument had one spokesperson, uh, Rebecca Benelli, who's a San Juan County commissioner, who did oppose the proposal largely based on misinformation, and uh, her supporters in her chapter house as well. But that that's not the same as the hundreds of thousands of Native people that were signing on to support a very, very tiny number of people. And uh, the senators and congressmen kept including her voice over and over and over again, Rebecca Benelli's voice, as if she spoke for all Native people, and that's simply not the case. Uh, This comment is coming from uh, Tom in Moab,
0: and I want to direct this first uh, to John at the Stegner Center there. Um, So, Tom says, I've heard opponents of Bears Ears National Monument say that the Antiquities Act was intended to preserve only small areas of land. In fact, there is precedence, says Tom, for using the act to preserve large areas. Wrangell St. Elias National Monument, created using the Antiquities Act in 1978, was almost 11 million acres. Only two years later, in 1980, Congress caught up as a part of the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act. Congress designated uh, it wrangled Saint Elias National Park and preserve and expanded it to more than 13 million acres. It's disingenuous for opponents to use size as an excuse to diminish Bears Ears National Monument. That's Tom and Moab. So, John Ruppel, what do you what do you think? There's there's argument. If you read the actual language of the Antiquities Act and and uh, interpret it very narrowly, as it appears Secretary Zinke is is uh, doing. Uh, I mean, there's there's some foundation there, but in practice, uh, presidents have used this to uh, designate large tracts of land. Uh, your comments, uh, John Ripple.
2: Tom's exactly right. If you look at the Antiquities Act, it requires only two things: one, that the president identify objects of historic or scientific importance, and two, that the president determine a boundary. And in that determination, he proclaim that it's the smallest area necessary to protect those resources. Once he does that. It's essentially over and the courts have been very clear they're not going to second-guess his judgment on that when we get to the question of scale um, yes if you take a very narrow textual reading of the Antiquities Act you can argue that that this is intended to be small but there are a couple of problems with that first in 1908 Teddy Roosevelt set aside the Grand Canyon National Monument which was which was later expanded uh, to become Grand Canyon National Park that's over 1,200 square miles in size as initially proclaimed the validity of that proclamation went before the U.S. Supreme Court. They unanimously upheld it uh, as a valid exercise of presidential authority. So that's been the settled law for over 100 years. Well, it was 1920 when the opinion came down, so almost 100 years. Uh, as your caller said, Glacier Bay National Monument, that's 1925. That's more than twice the size of Bears Ears. By the ni- mid-1930s, we had half a dozen national monuments There were all of, about thousand square miles or larger. So there's a, a very strong historic precedent for having large landscape scale monuments. There has been ample opportunity for Congress to change the law if they felt that these actions were inconsistent with, uh, with congressional intent, and they haven't. So I think we have to look at this and say large national monuments are totally appropriate and legally defensible under the act.
0: Uh, A follow-up for John Ruppel. Um, This is likely, I would think, to go to the courts. Um, The the, the courts, I think, have never directly ruled on what a subsequent president can do to a previous president's declaration uh, under the Antiquities Act. Is is that correct? Or have there been uh, precedent in, in this area?
2: That's correct. Every legal challenge to a national monument has failed no president has ever tried to unilaterally eliminate a national monument so there's no precedent there There there's no opportunity for that question to to appear in front of a court Um, presidents have on several occasions unilaterally revised national monuments to adjust the boundaries sometimes reducing those boundaries none of those cases were were ever challenged in court so we don't have any law there Uh, that said um, I think you can make a very strong argument that those prior reductions don't create any kind of precedent. We say that for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, again, none, none of those cha- none of those decisions were challenged in court. Many of those. Reductions were part of boundary adjustments, so you have a, a lot of examples where the the original description was inaccurate, so they had to correct a description, or where the surveys were of poor quality, and they actually left resources out of the monument. Um, Petrified Forest National Monument is a great example, as is Navajo National Monument. Both of those were set aside with about without a good understanding of where the resources were located. So the original boundary was very large, and there was an expectation going in that the president would adjust that that boundary in order to better reflect the resources on the ground once information became available. Uh, but that's very different than what we're talking about today. You know, looking at one monument based on very discrete factors associated with that is different than looking at 27 monuments based on largely political considerations.
0: One more question on this to John Ruppel. Um, I'm curious uh, how the courts are are likely to... to, uh well, it's badly stated uh, how the courts are likely to rule. I'll ask you about that. But but the process by which they're uh, they're they're going to rule, will they look and focus on just the language of the act, which could lead you to believe, as Secretary Zinke, it appears to believe, that uh, only large enough to you know protect um, uh, in important sites, specific local sites, or will they look at the at how this has been uh, implemented over time?
2: Well, I think it depends on what. Uh, Secretary Zinke's report says and what President Trump then does based on that report. But the starting point will be to look at the Antiquities Act and ask whether the president has the power under that act to reduce or eliminate a national monument. And the Antiquities Act doesn't doesn't say that specifically. I think we need to step back and understand a little bit about presidential authority here. The Constitution grants power over public lands exclusively to Congress. So before the president can act in this area, Congress has to delegate that power to the president. And they did that in 1906 when they passed the Antiquities Act. They delegated the power to create a national monument, but they said nothing about the power to undo it. Um, So then the question becomes, was it somehow implied and i think it it was not for three main reasons first of all there was no reason to grant that power to reduce to the president you know the idea was the president needed to be act to act nimbly to address threats to these precious resources so there was an expediency an exigency that requires quick acts, act to protect there's no such similar need to act quickly to reduce a monument second if we look at the statutes that were being enacted around the Antiquities Act, we see that Congress was giving the president the power to both create other reservations and reduce those. So they knew how to to create that two way valve, they chose not to uh, give him that power in the antiquities act, and I think that 's very telling and Third, there are multiple bills that have been introduced in Congress since the Antiquities Act was passed that would have given the President the power to reduce or revise uh, national monuments and they 've all failed so congress 's intent here I think is pretty clear uh, if, if we move beyond that then we 're going to get into this question of of whether there were um, impl- acquiescence in these prior grants, but I'm not sure that we're going to get that far.
0: Let me turn uh, next to Stephen Trimble. I want to uh, get your reaction, Stephen Trimble, to uh, Desert News editorial board. They, uh, the Desert News uh, had an editorial, um, which I'm guessing you'll disagree with, but I want to see. Uh, just quoting a couple paragraphs from this. In Utah, they say there can be little argument that parts of both Grand Staircase Escalante and Ears monuments ought to be designated as such. In the debate preceding Obama's designation last year, virtually all sides agreed on some footprint. An attempt to broker a compromise led by Representative Rob Bishop... Uh, included it as well. But but Zinke's claim that adherence to the act's definition of an object and smallest area compatible clause on some monuments were either arbitrary or likely politically motivated, or boundaries could not be supported by science or reasons of practical resource management. Those ought to be carefully studied. The headline of their um, editorial is Secretary Zinke's decision may lend balance to monument designation. What do you think, Stephen Trimble?
1: Well, as you could predict, I, I disagree violently, vehemently. Uh, if we go back and look at why these monuments were set aside, there's good reason for them to be so big. Uh, we've been looking at gigantic national monument designations in southern Utah since the 1930s, you know, for almost 70 years. It's There's no other place on Earth quite like those canyons along the Colorado River. And so, so we start with that baseline. This is a unique place on the planet. And so there are very good reasons to conserve those places. But at Bears Ears specifically, we're looking at uh, a tribal request to preserve sacred land. And as the intertribal coalition said in response to Zinke's uh, original announcement at the beginning of his review, they wrote, the Bears Ears region is not a series of isolated objects, but the object itself, a connected living landscape where the place, not a collection of items, must be protected. They're saying something about wholeness and interconnection there that is really the reason behind setting aside that land. And the boundaries are already a compromise. Uh, President Obama did not use the full boundaries requested by the intertribal coalition. He used the boundaries pretty much suggested in Rob Bishop's Public Lands Initiative. And so you've got a scattering of hundreds, more than 100,000 archaeological sites and um, You've got the proposal from the tribes to preserve their traditional connection to that landscape, all of which suggest a a continuous piece of land. So this is not arbitrary. This is not political. Same is true at Grand Staircase-Escalante. The boundaries for Grand Staircase-Escalante are based in science. That land was set aside uh, using boundaries drawn by uh, U.S. Geological Survey ecologists who made it big so that they could have three uh, versions, three replicating um, habitats to do their research on different kinds of ecological environments. The Grand Staircase is filled with a record of Cretaceous dinosaurs unmatched anywhere on the planet. It's a monument set aside primarily for science, in addition to being incredibly spectacular country, and of course in addition to blocking the coal mining on the Kapurowicz Plateau, the the conservation reason for the monument. And the same is true at Cascade Siskiyou in Oregon. That's really the first monument created for preserving biodiversity, where three major mountain ranges come together, and there's complicated ecological chaos, really, that created unbelievable speciation. And uh, that monument was was increased by President Obama in size because of climate change to take a look at, at what we can learn from that place. So in many ways, the, the monuments that we think Secretary Zinke is uh, setting aside in particular to reduce are all rooted in science or native culture, exactly the sort of things that the Trump administration opposes consistently.
0: Let me turn to uh, Matthew Campbell. I want to g- get your comments in, but I know do you have to go here pretty soon. Uh, what's... Um what's your thoughts on on uh, the, the, the rationale behind the bears ears I know there's a lot of Native American uh, uh, input and uh, if the, uh, the the recommendation is to drastically reduce it what's uh, what's going to be the i guess the the, the effects um, uh, in the Native American communities
3: well, I think if there is an attempt to reduce it, we will fight to protect the the monument as it is. Currently, as as Stephen mentioned, the tribes came together to push for a boundary that was larger than what President Obama ended up reserving, so that the tribes wanted a 1.9 million acre boundary because of the cultural mapping and the cultural understanding that they undertook to identify those boundaries. They The tribes have been pushing for since nearly 2010 with tribes and tribal people to understand the importance of this area, to understand the traditional stories about the area, the migration routes, all the different plants and animals and medicines that are there. And they used all of that information to create a, a map, a boundary, a cultural map to understand what is the smallest area practicable and possible to protect this area. And the boundary they came up with was the 1.9 million acre boundary that they proposed to President Obama, and as Stephen mentioned, President Obama, in the end, utilized the boundary that um, the Utah delegation came up with as the 1.3 million acre boundary. So. Given the importance of this area, with more than hundred thousand archaeological sites and, and items of cultural and historical importance, given the cultural importance of it to the tribes in the region and in all of Indian Country, any attempt to shrink or modify, you know, will be met with will fight for that, and will likely take this to court to protect it.
0: So, uh, likely, we will be going to, to, to court. Then, um, final final comment from you, uh, Matthew. I know we have to let you go here.
3: Well I just thank you for having me on and and um, I appreciate the time and you know the as I mentioned this place is one of the most important places in the Indian country any recommendation to eliminate it would be really a slap in the face to the tribes that have spent years pushing for this and and arbitrarily shrinking it is uncalled for Um, And and like John mentioned, there is no authority for the president to modify or shrink the national monument. The Antiquities Act is clear. Congress has made its intentions clear. And so um, we would be highly disappointed with any attempt to shrink it, and we want to protect Bears Ears.
2: That's
0: Matthew Campbell with the Native American Rights Foundation. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being on with us. Thank you, Tom. And uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back and continue with Stephen Trimble, who's a writer, educator, photographer, conservationist, uh, author of Bargaining for Eden and other books. And we'll continue with John Rupel, who's associate professor of research at the Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources and the Environment. And we'll bring on to the conversation Ethel Branch, who's attorney general for the Navajo Nation, who will be joining the conversation more following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Moab Area Travel Council, whose support of tourism, events, and recreation in Grand County promotes and protects the natural beauty for visitors from across the state of Utah. Information is available online at discovermoab.com. Helping the environment and creating jobs at the same time, yeah, it's kind of
1: a win-win. Now we're helping unlock the solutions cities need and everyone needs through the business sector by focusing on clean tech.
0: I'm Kai Rizdal, Inside LA's Clean Tech Incubator. Next time on Marketplace.
2: Join us tonight at 6:30 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has completed his review of national monuments. That review mandated by President Trump. has not released his recommendations in full. The New York Times is reporting that those recommendations will include reducing the size of a handful of national monuments, including Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante in Utah. And reports are that Secretary Zinke may recommend a drastic reduction in size for Bears Ears. We want to know what you think about the future of national monuments in America and in Utah. And you can comment right now to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Or you can call us to 800-826-1495, 826 1495 We welcome back in writer, educator, photographer, conservationist Stephen Trimble, who is joining us from the studios of KCPW in Salt Lake City. And John Rupel, Associate Professor of Research at Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources and the Environment at the University of Utah. He's joining us from the studios of KUER in Salt Lake City. We had with us Matthew Campbell with the Native American Rights Foundation, and soon we'll welcome in Ethel Branch, Attorney General for the Navajo Nation. And I believe we do have Ethel Branch, Attorney General for the Navajo Nation. Uh, welcome to the program.
4: Great. Thank you much for having me. We
0: appreciate to you uh, being with us. Let's kick off the second half of the program uh, with uh, your uh, general reaction to at least uh, possible reductions in size to some of these national monuments.
4: You know, I think I can speak most specifically to Bears Ears, um, but I think, you know, we put a lot of work into that with, with the other four tribes. And it's an incredibly important area to us for historic and uh, um, basically cultural patrimony reasons. And so, it's it's quite devastating that that would be on the chopping block uh, for the secretary, particularly given the secretary's role in uh, you know be, being on the front line of, of dispensing the federal government's trust responsibility to Indian tribes. And you know, Bears Ears National Monument is. critical to the continuation of our culture and protection of historical sites for us as well as uh, religious sites essentially. So uh, it's very disappointing, Uh, it's also quite disappointing that we were not given much opportunity to communicate and educate um, the Department of Interior on that specific site. And um, you know, I, I have to say, it's quite disappointing that the amount of time given um, the other voices was quite disproportionate with respect to the amount of time that the tribes were given.
0: Let's turn next to a caller, Veronica has joined us. Uh, welcome to the prom- program, Veronica. Good morning. Uh, Go ahead.
1: Um, Well, I just want to be sure—well, first of all, thank you so much to your three guests—well, four—for shedding some light on this issue. And I want to be sure that they address the
4: misinformation that is being uh, fomented by Monument opponents,
1: both about activities on the land—grazing— Recreation, herb gathering, etc., and also about the uh, the impacts to the local economies of the gateway communities around the monuments. So, I just want to be sure they get to those things.
0: Okay, uh, great points. Thank you, Veronica. Appreciate that. Sure. Uh, Let me me turn uh, to uh, Stephen Trimble first on on this. And by the way, uh, related events coming up. uh, You have a new book of essays uh, come out. You've edited Red Rock Stories. There's a reading, apparently, in Torrey on Saturday. Tell us about that and then uh, respond to to Veronica's question, if you would.
1: Well, sure. I'll I'll start with the book, Tom. Uh, Last summer, 35 writers came together who care deeply about Utah public lands and donated their work to inject a sort of literary uh, voice into the conversation about how to preserve these lands. Uh, It was a time of crisis. We needed to really uh, have the public heard in the conversation about the public lands initiative, and we wanted to advocate for Bears Ears. And so um, uh, I collaborated with Kirsten Allen at Torrey House Press in Torrey, I was the editor, and she had agreed to publish a trade edition of the book eventually. And we created a booklet form of this project that we called Red Rock Testimony and took it to Washington and distributed it to decision makers who said to us, thank you, we need these words as part of the conversation. And this spring, Torrey House Press published a, a trade edition called Red Rock Stories that is new, newly out and available in bookstores, uh, with these 35 writers and a bunch of introductory material about why we did this book and some uh, material at the end about the history of the proposal for the monument, the the actual wording of the beautifully written proclamation signed by President Barack Obama, and of course some, some words in defense of keeping the monument intact. And we'll be doing a reading at Entrada at uh, Robert's Roost in Torrey, Utah at 730 this Saturday. It'll be uh, a panel discussion about the same kinds of ideas and issues we're talking about today with me, with Kirsten Allen, the publisher, and three of the contributors, Regina Whiteskunk from the Ute Indian Tribe, Chip Ward, who lives in Torrey, and Jenna Richmond, who lives right smack in the middle of Grand Staircase in Escalante. So it should be a grand event. Uh, what Veronica mentioned in her call is absolutely true. The uh, The people who are opposing these monuments often use... Uh, what what one might call alternative facts, misinformation in their arguments. You know, for instance, grazing. Grazing is allowed in national monuments. Grazing is allowed in wilderness areas. And grazing on Grand Staircase has gone down a bit, very little, since the proclamation of the monument, but not because of any sort of regulation and overreach by the BLM, but because of drought. You know, these are dry, dry places. Uh, the reason we have so much public land in Utah is because we are the second driest state, and people couldn't make a living from those lands and homestead them and privatize them. So, the people who oppose the monuments are using, uh, you know, false arguments. Often, uh, the opponents of Bears Ears want to open it up for oil and gas and uranium, but the boundaries already excluded most of the land that is potential mineral development, uh, potential potentially open for mineral development or useful for mineral development. Uh, You know, there's just a huge element of spite and racism and uh, resentment and kind of decades-long hatred of any federal regulation, any federal designation. Who supports the monuments? Well, the American people support these monuments. All those millions of comments in support of these monuments. You know, we have to say over and over again that there may be people in San Juan County or Garfield County that that don't like federal designations, but that's just a few thousand people. And there are hundreds of millions of Americans who jointly own these lands. And uh, when Sally Jewell came out for the hearing about Bears Ears and Bluff in the summer of 2016, at the end of that hearing, she said to the crowd who had come to listen and come to speak, you know, she said, "I, I heard a lot of people speak in support, and I heard a lot of people speak in opposition. And frankly, a lot of the people who spoke in opposition were misinformed. They were using using information that simply wasn't true, would not happen if there was a monument designation. And we still hear those kinds of things from the Utah congressional delegation.
0: Let me uh, bring in this uh, comment, uh, and I'll direct this first to John Rupel. Uh, Sue, Sue in Grand County says, I say no to reducing the size of our national monuments. President Trump has been busy rolling back environmental laws that protect our air, water, wildlife, and land. The overall goal appears to be uh, to make it easier for industries to profit, often leaving behind a toxic mess. The reduction in size of our national monuments in the West is supported largely by coal, gas, and oil companies so they can drill and dig for fossil fuels on that land for short-term gain. I'm deeply concerned about the effects of climate change and believe that all of our futures are better served by working toward producing cleaner energy. That's Sue in Grand County. Uh, What do you think, uh, John Ruppel? Sue has a great point uh,
2: that... The Trump administration has taken environmental and public land policy in a very different direction. And I guess this just is a reminder that elections have consequences.
0: See, uh, Here's another comment from Blake in Apple Valley. Blake says, simply a hateful racist gesture by the evil Donald Trump to his racist, greedy base. Perhaps this will motivate people of good heart to stop voting for these monsters. That's a, uh, So reading between the lines, I can, I can see that Blake opposes <laughs> the uh, reduction in, in national monuments. Uh, let me, uh, let me uh, get a comment on this uh, from uh, Ethel Branch, Attorney General from Navajo Nation. Uh, uh, do you see, a, I guess, element of racism here, or, or is it uh, simply uh, different economic visions?
4: I mean, I, I'm trying very hard to understand the motivation for reducing bear's ears. And, um, you know, the best that I can come up with is that it's really, um, you know, a response to Grand Staircase and bear's ears is just another designation in southeastern uh, Utah. Um, and, and so they're kind of, I mean, a lot of the arguments they raise with respect to bear's ears are really arguments that apply to Grand Staircase. Um, and so, so there's that happening, um, but there is a long legacy of um, you know unequal treatment of Navajo people in San Juan County. So um, you know we we had to sue uh, in the 70s to ensure that our kids were getting equal educational resources. We have litigation right now uh, to overturn the gerrymandering that's happened with the county commission seats as well as uh, the school board member seats in San Juan County and we're getting delays and and constant pushback from the county resisting putting in place um, a re- remedy for that situation. Um, and so, so there certainly is an element of that um, and there's also just a sense uh, I think in the community that Those lands belong to uh, the citizens of uh, the non Indian citizens of San Juan County, and that's kind of their their playground. And they don't like anyone stepping in and telling them how to treat those lands. Uh, There's a long legacy of uh, pot digger culture in that area. There was a federal raid most recently in 2009 that resulted in the arrest and sentencing of 19 San Juan County residents for violation of the Archaeological Resources Protection Act. Uh, And just between 2011 and 2016, um, the BLM field office in Monticello reports that it investigated 25 instances of looting, vandalism, and disturbance of grave sites. Um, So I I think that there is certainly an an element uh, in play that the speaker or the questioner identified, Um, so that, that just makes this even more challenging. Um, and I think that's why you are seeing rhetoric that's based on, uh, with, with little factual basis uh, from opponents.
0: Stephen Trimble, um, I want to talk about culture and uh, economy. We've talked about the economic factors here. I've uh, been reading comments from uh, uh, opponents to the monuments, um, you know, especially in these communities in, uh, in southern Utah. Uh, who've been framing this in cultural terms? They're saying that we, you know, we we've been here for a long, long time. We've, uh, you know, we 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 are good stewards of the land. They say, and then uh, people come in in from the outside, and want to, uh, you know, change this in their own image. Coming from communities that have uh, failed, uh, and that's why they left. There's a there's a there's, a, there's a, seems to be a cultural divide here.
1: Well, there is indeed, Tom. There's a huge cultural divide, but. Um you know, listen to those words. We've we've been here for a long time. Well, Native people have been in those places for thousands of years. And as many generations of pioneers as we have in places like Monticello or Escalante, uh, they only go back to the mid-1800s. It's not really a very long time at all. And so, you know, obviously we want to make sure that families who have lived in, in Monticello or Escalante can continue to live in those places and find, find work for their kids and not have their kids all migrate to Salt Lake City or Denver or Los Angeles uh, in order to find work. But um, it, there's a lot of talk about balance from the de- congressional delegation, but they don't, they're not looking for balance. You know, we have to balance the, the needs and desires of the pockets, tiny pockets, really, of, of pioneer people in those places who tend to largely be white with the thousands of years of Native history and the fact that all of that land is not theirs. You know, 90% of Garfield County is public land, 5% is private land, 5% is state land. That is an important fact that the, um, the people who live in those towns may resent, but it's a fact. And the reason that all that land is public is because it's extraordinarily beautiful extraordinarily dry extraordinarily difficult to make a living on and so we uh as a culture nationally and internationally have come to value those places it's why so many of these uh national monuments were preserved by by presidents and remember that four of our national parks of the great mighty five national parks in utah were originally set aside as presidential pr- presidentially proclaimed national monuments, using the Antiquities Act, and then later established as National Parks by Congress. So uh, there's a cultural clash. It goes back to uh, Mormons retreating across the country, hounded by the federal government, you know, a feeling of persecution that runs strong in Mormon culture. Uh, It goes back to hating the federal government, the kind of classic attitude of Westerners about states' rights. Uh, who say to the federal government, "Get out!" But give us more money. Um, and there's there's a gradual shift toward conservation and ecological wisdom that that uh, we bring as as federal agencies over the past couple of administrations. That the Trump administration is frankly trying to reverse, and these attacks on the monuments are part of that.
0: John RuPaul, before we go to break, I, I want to uh, talk about. Um who people trust to manage these lands and it's you know it depends on who you talk to um, opponents of national monuments and then uh, say that there's too much federal land they they want the management decisions closer to uh, you know to the to the source to the communities they would prefer I think state management or perhaps county uh, management um, would, I know you've done some work in this at least a collaboration between state and, and, and federal Um. Uh, I wonder, um, I, this does come down to who you trust, I think, doesn't it? Um, you trust this, the state or trust the feds, depending on what you want those lands managed for.
2: Tom, I agree. This, A couple of points there. First of all, I think we have to remember these are public lands. They belong to all Americans, not just those folks that live nearby. So while the local community certainly has... Um, they need to have a voice and they need to have input into management decisions. They're not the only voice. Um, and it and the Obama administration tried to address that. If you look at the Bears Ears Proclamation, there's a tribal advisory committee that has representatives from the five tribes that brought forth the proposal. And there's also a monument advisory committee that includes representatives from the state, from county government, from the Chamber of Commerce, uh, from the environmental community, from the recreation community, to make sure that those voices are heard. So if we do see a reduction or an elimination of this monument we also see potentially a reduction in voice as to the question of who would be a better manager it really has nothing to do with state officials or federal officials being any more competent or effective it's about the mandate that they operate under Um, and you know th- that's really the question. We look at when we look at bills like the Transfer of Public Lands Act, or we look at uh, some of the legislation that's currently pending in Congress. It's those changes in management have more to do with mandate than anything else. They have they have a lot to do with streamlining environmental reviews, minimizing opportunities for public input. And that has the potential to be really damaging for those local communities.
0: Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll have our last segment with uh, Stephen Trimble, John Rupel, and uh, Ethel Branch. Uh, and uh, hopefully your comment as well. We'd love to hear from you. 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. Talking about national monuments. And uh, you can reach us by email as well to upraccess at gmail.com. upraccess at gmail.com. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra's 2017-2018 season with six concerts in the USU Danes Concert Hall under the direction of Dr. Craig Jessup. Season tickets available online at AmericanFestivalChorus.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about national monuments. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has completed his review of national monuments. He's not released his full recommendations. Uh, Speculation is that the recommendations will include reducing the size of a handful of monuments, and that the Bears Ears, in particular, may uh, be recommended to be reduced uh, drastically. We want to know what you think. You can comment uh, for another uh, seven or eight minutes here to upraccess at gmail.com. We have with us writer, educator, photographer, and conservation Stephen Trimble. We have uh, John Ruppel, associate professor of research at Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources in the Environment, and Ethel Branch, attorney general for the Navajo Nation. I want to give credit to KCPW, that's where Stephen Trimble is, and KUER, that's where John Rupel is uh, joining us uh, from. Uh, so before we have some final comments uh, here, I want to get uh, a comment uh, from uh, Ethel Branch. Uh, if the recommendation is reduction in size for any of these monuments, especially Bears Ears, uh, will the Navajo Nation be filing a lawsuit?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely, we are prepared to defend the monument, and um, you know, litigation is certainly a part of that. So, we stand ready to file uh, you know, right away. if There is any action to reduce the, the monument in any regard.
0: What's what's the foundation? What are the what would be your main arguments?
4: You know, you'll see that in our complaint. Okay.
0: All, right. <laughs> With all well, due respect. <laughs> okay. we'll, uh, we'll uh, look forward to that. Um, and, you know, we don't know 100% what uh, Secretary Zinke's um, uh, recommendations will be, but there's a lot of speculation that the uh, Bears Ears may be reduced uh, drastically. Well, we've reached uh, about five minutes left, I want to go just around the table here, um, figuratively speaking, and uh, just get final comments, and we'll start on that with uh, uh, Stephen Trimble. Well,
1: there are a couple of things that I wanted to sneak into our conversation, Tom. Uh, we didn't talk about economics, but the, the argument that comes from the delegation and opponents is often economic. They say that we've locked up land, that we've prevented local communities from making money off that land. And just last week, a, a paper was published by two researchers up at Utah State, at your own university, at the Center for Society, Economy, and the Environment. And after lots of very careful work, they they concluded that it's about a wash, that you know, we, we take some of those uh, mineral resources and off the table and do not mine for coal in the Caperawets or create new uranium mines, but we do create new jobs in recreation, and that uh, it probably is a bit of a wash that the monuments don't create a boom, but they don't create a bust. Blake Spaulding, the owner of Hell's Backbone Grill in Boulder, would disagree and say that her community is booming, that their job's going begging because there are not enough people to take them, But I spoke with one of those researchers uh, last week, and he pointed out that their research did not include certain non-market values that are crucially important. They did not consider the willingness of a person to pay for the option of visiting a preserved landscape sometime in the future, and they did not include the willingness of a person to pay simply to preserve the monument for the benefit of future generations. So they really couldn't build that long view into their research. And that's crucially important. That's, in the end, why we are doing this. So I, I just wanted to end with a quick paragraph from one of the writers who will be uh, speaking and reading at our reading in Torrey on Saturday at 7.30. Uh, this is the last paragraph of Chip Ward's essay who contributed to Red Rock Stories. And he, he kind of uh, sums up everything that I have to say in one paragraph. He wrote, I believe we have sacrificed enough to the extractive compulsion of yesterday's manifest destiny. It is time to swing the balance and protect natural treasures from the incessant blade of development. It is time to honor America's ancient history and to listen to those who tell a story that can help us understand our relationship to the land and our obligations to future generations. It is time to assure that our children and grandchildren and their children will be able to come here and be grounded, healed, humbled, and awed by the dance of light on stone. They too can stand under the stars and understand their lives anew, because the Bears Ears will still be whole and holy. If we act boldly to save what is left, I believe they will bless us for our wisdom and generosity. Chip Ward. Okay, that's uh, Stephen Trimble. Uh, Just a minute each, Uh,
0: John Ruppel next. Uh, Your final comment.
2: Tom, thanks. I'd point out, first of all, that President Trump's actions are totally unprecedented. We've never seen a president set aside or or select over two dozen monuments for this comprehensive, politically motivated kind of review. And there's a strong legal argument that he lacks the authority to act in this area. To the extent that we're talking about a question of the legality of those proclamations, that's an issue that needs to go before the courts. If we're talking about a question of the adequacy of the Antiquities Act to involve local input or reflect local concerns or economic concerns, that's a question for Congress. They need to amend the law. The president doesn't get to take over judicial functions. He doesn't get to take over uh, Congress's lawmaking functions. So really, in the end, that's where this question should go, to Congress, not to the president.
0: Okay, we'll give the brief last word to uh, Ethel Branch, Attorney General for Navajo Nation. What do you think?
4: Sure. Thanks. I, I think two things. One is uh, there's been a lot of talk about how this was uh, this proposal had very little input from locals and, and very little support as well. But there were you know six years preceding the designation that went into uh, the build up to the monument, and there was an attempt at a legislative solution, and that failed in part because there were poison pills that none of none of the tribes could accept. Um, and in the end, you know, the, the local community, when they were asked in 2014 which plan they supported, the public lands initiative or the Bears Years monument proposal, of them voted in in favor of the Bears Ears proposal, and only 1% of them supported the public lands initiative proposal. Um, So I I think there's been a lot of miscommunication uh, about the local support um, and and, how quickly this monument came into being. And then the other thing that I have to say that's really, really important for the tribes, and in particular Navajo Nation, is uh, the collaborative management model that is put in place with this monument, it allows um, the tribes be much more meaningfully engaged in uh, the management decisions, it it is to be managed in a a manner that will protect the cultural value and the historical value those lands have for the tribes. And, you know, it's very, very exciting for us, and we very much enjoy being a part of that process and look forward to to what we can do with Bears Ears.
0: Um, Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, Ethel Branch has joined us, Attorney General for the Navajo Nation. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, John Ruppel, associate professor with the Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources Environment at the University of Utah. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Tom. And he's
0: joined us from KUR Studios, and uh, writer, educator, photographer, and conservationist Stephen Trimble has joined us from KCPW. Thank you to you.
1: Thanks, Tom. Thanks for giving us time to talk about these so important issues.
0: And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah.
2: A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCU Price, and KUSUFM Logan. Heard online at upr.org.